It is BetQLU with myself, Eli Herskovich, and Thomas Casali, the managing editor of sports betting over at Radio.com Sports and BetQL. Talking college basketball for the next 40 minutes to an hour here. First ever college basketball betting podcast presented by BetQL. And BetQL helps sports bettors of all types from the first time bettors to hardcore making more informed betting decisions using data and analytics. You can download the BetQL app in the Apple App Store or Google Play for free to find out more. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend of BetQL is Thomas Casali. What's going on, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, at least I'm doing better today than I was Sunday, that's for sure. Holy shit. Let's talk about that Michigan-Wisconsin game for a second, because we both had, we were both at Wisconsin. I think they got bet up to, uh, as a one-point favorite right before tip, of 14 in the first half. Michigan ends up winning that game by eight. You said it to me before the show started. If, if you told me that Wisconsin was up 14 at one point in the game late in the first half, you would have doubled down. No doubt about it. And, you know, I've been betting for more years than you've been alive, Eli. 33 years <laughs> I've been betting. And it's so weird because you learn a lot of things over the years. But like on Sunday, I had Wisconsin and Army. One team was up 14 at home and lost. Army was plus seven, tied at home and lost by nine. And when you're hot, you never lose those games. But when you're cold, it's amazing how you can lose games like that. And, boy, I was just sick Sunday losing those games. I, you know, it, there's a difference between being on those games and losing and giving out like San Francisco and Villanova. Like the, the, those games we gave out on Saturday were just wrong. I mean, and, you know, there, there's nothing you can do about that. Sometimes you see a game wrong. But to be on Wisconsin up 14 against a team that's been out for a month, you think you got that easy, and somehow we lose it. I not only gave out San Francisco. I gave out South Carolina made it kind of a competitive game down the stretch. I gave out Indiana. They got smoked by around 20 points, and I gave out San Francisco. And I also said that if Gonzaga was to go down one time in non-conference, it would be to San Francisco. Drew Timmy puts up like 30 in the first half, and, and San Fran has no shot. Gonzaga started the game on a 17-2 run. So, that was a lot of fun. You mentioned Villanova. Let's talk about Monday night for a second because East Tennessee State, plus one and a half, they lose by the hook because their head coach called a timeout when one of the best three-point shooters was taking a three from the corner off a missed free throw. If they hit the three, which they did, and the head coach didn't call a timeout, East Tennessee State would have won the game. Two seconds left, Chattanooga to get a shot off. You know, like you said, I would rather have the blowout loss than a game like that where I literally had the game and the coach took points off the board. Yeah, I mean, like, listen, coaches in all sports have big egos. That's how they get there. But there's no bigger ego than the college basketball coach. What is he going to do in 1.8 seconds? Like, what master play is he going to draw up? I mean, these guys call seven timeouts at the end of games so their guard can dribble for 10 seconds and then shoot, <laughs> uh, you know, an off-balance three. I just, I can't believe, like, I didn't see that. I wasn't watching live, but when you told me what happened, I... I Boy, what a way to end our week. But hey, new week. We're back, baby. That's true. I believe President's Day. President's Day was the holiday on Monday, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and I, I, you you have more guts than me. I had to take a couple of days off. I had to get the stink off me. I was close to taking a day off, but I was going to a doctor's appointment. And I threw on, I threw up the book that I have on my phone. And I saw, I saw the line. I did some digging into the game 
uh, earlier in the day and it was still one and a half. So if it didn't move before tip, I was probably going to take it. I took it. And you know what? I'd rather not have taken it because I'd rather not deal with that stress later in the night. I will say, though, you mentioned coaches. You went on a long Jim Beheim rant with our friend, Coach Jimmy Patzos, a former coach last week. One of his disciples, Mike Hopkins, the coach of Washington, I was watching the uh, UW-Wazoo game on Monday night on President's Day. Washington switched out of a zone, and I, I took him live. I was waiting for, I think they were up by 10 at the half. I took him plus three and a half when Wazoo went on a, a big run in the second half. And I was surprised, but, but like you said, before we, before we began, like that's a coach that is at least willing to adapt and he's run more man to man. It's not like he's only a zone coach. Unlike his good old pal, Jim Beheim. Yeah. And that's the part that's so baffling about Beheim, how he'll never get out of that zone. It's, it's, I, you know, I was watching Washington last year and they, and he went out of the zone and they said, uh, Mike Hopkins has run more man to man at Washington than he ever did at Syracuse. And they, uh, they joked and they said, Jim Beheim won't even take his calls anymore. What do you hate more, technology or Jim Beheim? I don't know, man. The, the the day I can start this podcast without any issues, the that'll be a great day in my life. But uh, <laughs> so uh, I'll lean technology minus one twenty. Okay, all right. I'll, I think I'll think I'll eat the juice there. I think I'll, uh, I'll I'll bet that with you. Not a lot of games to hit on for Tuesday. Plus, it's later in the day. We feel like. You should be getting the games that we bet on Wednesday and Thursday, more so more of a breakdown for those games, not like a West Virginia, Texas Tech kind of matchup as we record on Tuesday, February 16th. So let's get into the games on Wednesday, February 17th, Syracuse at Louisville. This line opens at Louisville minus five, and the total is 140 and a half. Louisville coming off about a two week COVID layoff, maybe a couple more days on top of that. Yeah, this looks like a pretty even game to me. Uh, Louisville does do a great job uh, against that zone. They, Similar to North Carolina, uh, those are two teams I've watched over the last couple of years who really know how to attack it by passing the ball inside out instead of just going around the perimeter shooting threes. That's really the way um, that, you, that you beat that zone. The one thing I will say, though, is Louisville does not shoot the ball well from the outside at all. They're like 256 in the country at three-point shooting. So that could be an issue as the game goes on uh, since they've had that layoff. This looks pretty, I I think I'd have the line more around four. Uh, that's what Ken Palm has it at. I kind of agree there. So I think it's a little bit inflated. I'm going to stay off this one. Um, I know you might be leaning Syracuse here. Let's see what this line is later in the day. I, I usually don't bet a ton of openers. I, I did at the beginning of the conference play. Now I kind of let the market settle in and, and see what it gets to later on in the night. I will say though, really interesting stat from Evan. Mikawawa, I believe on Twitter, he said the disadvantage for a team coming off a COVID pause has risen to 2.9 points on average in a normal tempo game. Longer pause equals greater disadvantage. 14 day pause is worth about 0.9 points disadvantage. 21 days equals 2.6 points and 28 days is 4.3 points. So Louisville is about, this is about a two week pause. So you probably trend more so 2.9 uh, from a point differential standpoint, leaning towards Syracuse. I just find it intriguing because usually we're talking about, this isn't necessarily to the spread. It's not like that's what this guy's talking about. He's just talking about point differential, but we're talking about home court advantage and what that means to the spread. But now we're talking about COVID layoff and what the number actually is to the spread. I think we're getting some value with Syracuse if this hovers around two possessions. Like you mentioned, Louisville can attack a zone, but they're bottom 15 in the, actually they're dead last in the ACC in uh, perimeter scoring rate, and they're second to last in the conference 
in three-point percentage. And Syracuse, while they they run that zone, so you would think, okay, they're going to give up some three-point looks, they, they're allowing the second lowest three-point percentage in ACC play. Now, they don't rebound well out of the zone. They're dead last in the ACC in rebounding percentage, defensive rebounding percentage. But Louisville does turn it over uh, a little bit. They're in the bottom half of the league in turnover percentage, and Syracuse turns it over or turns you over at the second highest rate. So not really a lot of offensive stats and offensive metrics to lean on, besides the fact I love Alan Griffin as a scorer for Syracuse. But I think Syracuse's defense the zone matches up really well against the Louisville team that doesn't have a lot of shooters. Like I know a lot of people love Carlick Jones, the Radford transfer, uh, mid-major transfer for Louisville this year, but he can't shoot. David Johnson could shoot, but not like he shoots at a high sample size. So if, if Syracuse can turn him over and hold hold Louisville to a lower percentage from three, I think their defense keeps this thing within a couple possessions. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing you got just got to be concerned about is Syracuse's performance on the road this year. You know, uh, lost by 20 to Pitt, uh, got blo- the doors blown off at, at Virginia, um, got lost by 17 at Clemson in a game that wasn't even that close. So that that could be an issue, too, especially when you're looking at why the line's so high is Syracuse has just not done well on the road this year. Okay. So if you want to factor in Syracuse's road stats, I mean, again, Louisville coming off the COVID layoff, I, I agree with you, but 16 days. Granted, we we said the same thing with Michigan, but that's Michigan. These are apples and oranges in terms of Louisville. I think the Cardinals are just a little bit overvalued in the market, and then you tack on not playing for 16 days. Maybe maybe to your point, Syracuse is more of a second-half look if Louisville's legs are a little tired in the second half, the final final 20. But I think two possessions is good enough. Maybe this line gets up to six or, or five and a half where I get a little more value on the orange. Yeah, well, well, the good thing is, is if you wait to take it live, we know the Syracuse coach isn't going to make any adjustments. So whatever's happening is going to happen. That's a good point. All right. So that's our breakdown for for Syracuse at Louisville. What about Richmond at VCU? Any any thoughts on this game, Tom? As we look at the opener, I believe VCU is still a, a three-point favorite. It might be down, actually. At, actually, it's still up. So uh, VCU up to a three-and-a-half-point favorite and some juice on VCU. Yeah, I would normally be all over Richmond in this spot. The and if it's if it's going to be three and a half or higher, I might actually take them. They do such a good job against ball pressure and and beating presses. I, you know, this this is a matchup that I really like for Richmond. The only issue is their only game since January sixteenth was a scrimmage on Sunday against St. Mary's Maryland, which they who they beat you know ninety to forty nine. So the way VCU plays, they can wear you down over the game course of the game with their press and, and the way they play defense or pressure. So that does concern me. But in terms of matchup, I like this matchup for Richmond. And geez, if I can get four or more here, I, I might have to go with the Spiders in this spot. Yeah, you mentioned turnover percentage. I, I, I'm probably going to stay away. Like if I was leaning Louisville against Syracuse, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take the Cardinals. And I know that Richmond is the dog in this one. So you're at least getting a possession, if not, maybe a little more if this one gets up to four. But Richmond, to your point, the eighth lowest turnover turnover percentage in college basketball. VCU, the fifth highest opponent's turnover rate. So it's a great contrast in styles. But also, Richmond can turn you over. Right. Uh, they have the 33rd highest opponent's turnover percentage. And VCU is in the bottom half, if not the bottom 100 in college basketball, in terms of offensive turnover rate. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, this I like the matchup for Richmond. It, it's just hard with these COVID layoffs. 
Uh, I know that you know they did have that game. Maybe they, they they got their legs back a little bit, but that that's really like a practice against a team like that. That's just something they scheduled uh, to get something in. But um, it's an interesting game. Uh, I think it's going to be close. I, I probably will lay off because of the the COVID issues with Richmond. But if if it keeps going up, I might jump on the Spiders here. All right, let's move on. I'll have no play on that game. I'll be staying away for Richmond. Would lean towards the Spiders if they weren't coming off a COVID layoff of about three weeks. Utah State at Boise State, a huge game in the Mountain West. This line opened at Utah State Lane 2 on the road at Boise, um, according to Circa. And another offshore book doesn't necessarily open at the same number. But now Boise State is a one-point favorite and juice is on Boise State. They're going to have about 900 fans for both games against Utah State. They play Wednesday and Friday, and we're just dissecting the Wednesday game, the first leg of two games and three nights for both of these teams. I know it's not a ton, but it's something. I think Utah State is averaging about over 1,500 fans a game. I don't know how much I would equate to home court advantage for Boise State, but it at least gives them some sort of presence. No, it does, and but I, I know something we've talked about offline is, did Boise peak too early? You know, you look at their last six games, they're three and three. They're coming off two wins over, you know, a below average UNLV team. So it'll be interesting to see this matchup for me against uh, Utah State, who has been, I think Utah State's been better than I had predicted they would be. I I thought they would be a little bit down this year. And so I'm pleasantly surprised by them. It'll be interesting because how many teams is this conference of the Mountain West going to get in a tournament? So, you know, San Diego State looks good. Colorado State, Boise State, Utah State fighting for spots. I think this is a dead even game. Uh, You know, I give Boise the slightest of edges being at home, but this is a pass for me. So you're pretty much in line with the market then. And I will say with Utah State, Marco Anthony, the Virginia transfer, he was on that UVA team that won it all a couple of years ago. That means like he's made a, a world of a difference for this team in terms of just a, a solid ball handler, not the highest assist rate, but can make plays off the dribble, can shoot it. Uh, shooting just under 40% from three. So gives him some sort of a perimeter presence. I'm with you. I might take Boise on the second leg of the two and three nights if Boise State loses this first game, which they very well could. Like if you think about the Mountain West, it's an, it's an intriguing conversation. I, I'm kind of with you. I think Boise State peaked a little bit early. I also don't trust their ball handlers. Uh, Utah State is the second highest opponent's turnover rate in Mountain West play. And I, I know Boise is the lowest offensive turnover percentage, but Alston can be very loose with the ball. And when it comes down to the stretch, stretch running games, he usually has the, has the ball in his hands. It's a little concerning. If Marcus Shaver isn't in foul trouble, that helps. But looking at the Mountain West standings, Utah State is 13-4 and four in conference, where they're projected to go 13-4 and four in conference on Kent Palm, 11-2 overall. Uh, Boise's 12-3. Colorado State looks like a tournament team is 11-3. San Diego State, uh, we'll talk to a bracketologist in a little bit. They're projected to be 12-4, and four, one of the better teams actually the fourth worst record in the Mountain West, but still would be a tournament team. I think Boise gets into the dance, but man, they need to split and get at least one of these games from Utah State. Yeah, I th- I still think there's a long ways to go in this conference. I don't see four teams getting in. So someone, at least one's going to be left out. So this is a huge, huge series for both. But like you said, the turnovers could be the difference here. Utah State is loose with the ball a lot. Boise can turn you over. I think that's going to be the deciding factor here. If Utah State can control the ball and run their pace, then I I think that they'll take at least one or two of these games at Boise. And staying in the Mountain West, you have a bet on Wyoming at New Mexico. 
Wyoming land five and a half, total of 139. Yeah, this is, I don't have many plays this week. This is one of my plays. So the, one of the theories I like to do is if it's a really bad team coming off a long COVID rest. So I, I did this with Boston College and NC State a couple weeks ago. You know, NC State's as saggy a team as you can find, right? But Boston College was coming off a month COVID layoff. They're not good to begin with. And NC State blew them out of the gym. I mean, New Mexico is one of the worst teams in college basketball this year. They're, they have a win over Rice, uh, two teams that aren't even in, in Division One, Dixie State and San Jose State. I mean, they're just a terrible basketball team. They've had all kinds of COVID issues throughout the year. And now they're playing Wyoming. And similar to NC State, Wyoming is not a great basketball team by any means. But they have some nice wins on their resume at Oregon State. They beat Nevada twice. So they're, an, they're a decent team. And I like that this is on a neutral court. It's the coming off a layoff, New Mexico. I think five and a half is a good number to lay. Six would kind of be my, I don't know if I have the guts to lay more than six points with Wyoming. But I do believe they win this game rather easily. A couple more games to get to on the Wednesday slate. Duke at Wake Forest. Jalen Johnson decides to opt out of the season. You want to call him a quitter? You don't. Doesn't really matter from from a betting sense. Duke opens as a round of five and a half point favorite at Wake Forest. And Wake Forest is coming off that overtime loss to Florida State. And again, they probably should have won if they, if they didn't let Scotty Barnes jog to the basket and lay it in on Saturday to tie it up. Yeah, this is an interesting game for me because I kind of like Duke a little bit. And I kind of liked them against NC State Saturday. I, did, I didn't pull the trigger there. These are teams Duke can beat up on. Uh, this is an average Duke team. Beating NC State in Wake Forest doesn't change that. Virginia beat them on Saturday uh, regardless. But... Duke can can still beat up on some of these bad teams in the ACC. And I think maybe they come together here for this one game and beat a Wake Forest team they traditionally slaughter. So I do lean Duke. I don't know if I have the stomach to lay six points with them on the road, but it's a strong lean for me. I, I hear you. Maybe a slight, the slightest of leans to Duke. I mean, you think about this game from a matchup perspective. Duke wants to score inside, at least off the dribble and transition a little bit. I will say, though, to your point, defensively for Duke in terms of a matchup, uh, Duke just turned you over at the third highest rate in conference play. And Wake Forest has the second highest turnover rate in uh, in the ACC. So if Duke is able to turn you over with some of those guards, then probably can cover this line and make it a two-possession win, three-possession win if you're betting this thing within within five and a half. But I, I'm staying away. I'm, I, I'm not touching this game. The last game I want to head on on Wednesday, maybe like 30 seconds or less here, is Northeastern at UNC. This game... Uh, North Carolina was able to pick up a non-conference game in the midst of their conference schedule. And I believe Northeastern is a 12 and a half point dog. So actually 15. So North Carolina laying 15 at home against Northeastern. Would you consider any sort of a look to Northeastern? I would consider it. Northeastern's one of the teams I like in the smaller conferences if they get a good matchup um, in the tournament. The, the problem here is obviously size. Uh, North we, Northeastern, one of the worst offensive rebounding teams in the nation. So Carolina is going to have a big, big size advantage down low. So, you know, this is, remember when uh, when we had a tournament and Northeastern played Kansas and everybody loved them getting like two points. Uh, and the, the size advantage for Kansas was so, so mammoth in that game. So I kind of see that being an issue here too. I would lean Northeastern getting this many points because they can shoot the lights out, but it's a no play for me. 
You bring up that, man, that Northeastern team was so much fun. They won their conference tournament. Vucicha was such a good shooter. I will say that line was around four and a half. And I know I get your point in terms of size, but you're getting 15, you're getting five possessions against the UNC team that is allowing the second highest three-point scoring rate in ACC play, which is consistent even though this, is, this isn't a conference game. It's, it's the stretch that they're in. And Northeastern is, is uh, putting up the, the highest three-point scoring rate in, in their conference. So maybe a look. Another look that I would consider is Kansas State against Kansas, getting around four possessions. Let's see what that line later on uh, Tuesday night into Wednesday. We'll see what uh, what that number is. I'm considering K-State. But, I, yeah, it's a look to Northeastern. We'll see if I end up betting it. I will say, though, that's a pretty, pretty big matchup advantage from three for Northeastern. Yeah, I mean, it should be a good game. Uh, I think Northeastern will stay. You know, North Carolina is weird. They're, you know, I mentioned this about Clemson uh, last week. Clemson and North Carolina are two teams I want to like. I can't get there on either of them. You know, I expected Carolina to be a little bit better than they are right now this this season. So uh, there's just something that this isn't your normal Carolina team. Uh, there's just too many weaknesses on them for me to fall in love with them. We have six huge games to get to in college basketball, not just six random games to touch on here. Some monster games on the Thursday card. LSU and Ole Miss tips it off. We don't have a line for it it being two days away from the game. But Kempom makes this line, uh, LSU laying a point on the road at Ole Miss. I would think that line goes to towards the Rebels a little bit, and this line closes it around a pick. Uh, but let's just say LSU minus one at Ole Miss, total of about 155 or 145. Any lean for this game, Tom? This is a game I'm just going to sit back and watch because I think these are two teams that could get on a little bit of a run here. Mississippi's already on one. They've won four in a row. Um, LSU's won two in a row. They had an impressive win against Tennessee. The only thing that concerns me, though, is we mentioned this on Saturday's podcast. Tennessee struggles with athletic teams. Uh, LSU really hurt them with their athleticism and their ball movement. That Those are just not good matchups for Tennessee. We have enough data on that now. So uh, I want to see how they play in a tough game against Mississippi. Mississippi's playing really well. You know, you had South Carolina on Saturday, and that was a hell of a spot to take the Gamecocks. And Ole Miss never trailed in that game. I mean, uh, they, they got out to a nice lead there. Their defense is playing really well. So I lean Ole Miss, but I'm just going to sit back and watch this one. It should be a good one. Looking at this one from a matchup standpoint, LSU is one of the worst rebounding teams in the SEC, bottom half in both offensive and defensive rebounding rate. Ole Miss is in the upper half of both categories. And in terms of like matchups, the, the one area that I think LSU could expose Ole Miss if they're on from three is their perimeter shooting. So their bottom half in the league in the SEC in three-point percentage, but they're still a pretty good three-point shooting team. Like That average might start to tick up here a little bit. Ole Miss doesn't necessarily have a great matchup in this game in, in terms of inside the arc, turning you over. Yeah, Ole Miss can turn you over, but LSU has the lowest turnover rate in conference. So I would say that three-point percentage is something to look out for for the Tigers if you're considering LSU. Ole Miss runs that one three one defense and LSU shot really well in that first game. This is the second time these two teams played, have played at, at Ole Miss. And that first matchup in, in early January, LSU shot 38% from three. Days hit a few of them. Wofford hit a couple. So if LSU is on from three, like that's the biggest variable in this game. And uh, I, I would stay away as well, um, especially because I think that average might start to tick out for the Tigers. Yeah, and the one just one thing I'll mention quickly about Ole Miss is – they're starting to get a lot – they're a lot better now than they were a month ago. So sometimes when teams improve like that, 
all their stats don't mesh with what they are right now. So that's why another reason why I want to watch this game, because like you said, they, they on paper they struggle defending the three. LSU had a good shooting game against them last time. Let's see how much has changed since that game. Ole Miss wins this game, and watch out. Uh, I mean, they're they're really rolling. They're, they're, they're a team, if they get in the tournament, can do some damage. Yeah, they're on. I mean, that defense, you want to talk about if Ole Miss is able to win a game in, in the round of 64, then you have to prepare for that 1-3-1. I remember that, I think it was Oklahoma Ole Miss in the round of 64 a couple of years ago, where Oklahoma shot the lights out. And I was hoping that we were going to get an Ole Miss-Virginia. Man, Virginia got so lucky on that run. The Oregon win, then the Tennessee win, or not Tennessee, the Purdue win, and then the Auburn win, and then the Texas Tech win. They had four four pretty lucky wins. And if Ole Miss had given them, had had played them at the round of 32 with that with that style of defense, I think I think they would have given them some issues. But I agree with you, but I had Ole Miss against Oklahoma. And, so did I. And I don't remember too many games in my life where a team showed up less than Ole Miss in that game. They looked like they were in, running in cement. I, I'll never forget that game because I was just like, man, this is one of the worst picks I've ever had. And you guys have heard some of my bad picks on here already, so you know how bad of a pick that was. Yeah, that, I think I took Ole Miss second half too. That was that was not fun. Neither, neither ended up covering. All right, let's keep going down here on the card. Iowa at Wisconsin. So now we get into a three-pack of Big Ten games on Thursday. A huge game of the Big Ten. Wisconsin coming off that disappointing loss to uh, to Michigan at home on Sunday. And then Iowa shot the lights out from three, over 50% against Michigan State. I took Michigan State. Another bad loss. Wow, I had some bad losses on Saturday. And then just some bad luck over the last three losses. Not a good not a good uh, three days for your boy. So looking at this game, Iowa is projected on Kempon to be a one-point favorite at Wisconsin. And if we look at some of the metrics here for this game, I believe the total on Kempom is sitting at 149. So any thoughts on the, the spread or the total? Yeah, I'm going to stay away from this game. Wisconsin's a team I just cannot figure out. I was high on them coming into the year. Some of their players have really regressed this season. It's been a tough year. I mean, who knows what's going on in people's lives? I don't know. But you're, this team, just not the, the team I thought they were going to be. I wouldn't be so, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big Iowa guy, as everyone knows, but I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if they win this game. Just something not right with that Wisconsin team. Um, but man, that the the one thing here I like in Iowa's favor is sometimes they get bullied on the boards, and Wisconsin is a terrible rebounding team. So if was if Iowa's hitting their shots like they have been the last couple of games, I think they'll get it done on the road. See, it's it's interesting that you say they're a terrible rebounding team, and I'm not disagreeing with you necessarily, but if you look at the metrics, now I'll be on Wisconsin, by the way. I'll have a lot of pets on Thursday, for better or for worse. Uh, Wisconsin, I know they did not rebound the ball well at all. Micah Potter and Nate Reavers, a 6'10 and 6'11 big combined for for zero rebounds against uh, against Michigan, <laughs> against Dickinson. They had so many second-chance opportunities. Michigan did in the second half. Wisconsin is, has the third-highest defensive rebounding rate in the Big Ten in, in conference play. So in that game, they didn't rebound well, but overall, even in conference play, we're not talking about overall non-conference and conference, they are a decent rebounding team. Yeah, I'm talking more on the offensive end where Got it. Uh, the they're just to me they they can they can get bullied. You know, I, I thought Illinois bullied them. I thought Michigan bullied them. Iowa's not really that kind of team because uh, they can kind of get bullied on the boards too. So I think that kind of evens itself out. To me, this is gonna this is very simple. This game, they're both gonna shoot threes. 
when, when either one of these teams is on from beyond the arc, they're hard to beat. So if, if either one of them is hot from three, that's the team that's going to win. No, it's, it's, it's very, yeah, it's spot on. Um, Wisconsin has the third highest three point scoring rate in big 10 play, but they're in the bottom half of the league in three point percentage. Iowa's given up the highest three point scoring rate. And it's not like that's a small sample size. They're also I think bottom two, bottom three in the conference and opponents throw three point percentage. I think this is a great bounce back spot for Wisconsin. Iowa's not going to shoot as well from three as they did at Michigan State, especially with this Wisconsin perimeter defense. I mean, you think about how Michigan got back into the game. Now, you're right. They got back into it on second chance opportunities, but you know that's going to be a point of emphasis for Greg Gard. And you might say, okay, that's just narrative. Well, Wisconsin is going to crash the glass. Uh, on Thursday against Iowa. And I think it's a good bounce back spot for the Badgers. So I'll, if this game is a pick, uh, Wisconsin minus one, Wisconsin plus one, I'll, I'll be on the Badgers. Well, I'm going to be fading the Badgers in March, but I can tell you this. My bookie has a second house for all the times I faded Wisconsin in March. So that might be good news for Wisconsin fans. I kind of, you know, I, I know that loss sucked. But that was against one of the best teams in college basketball. Michigan was coming off a COVID layoff. Like, how could we have projected that? We thought they were going to have tired legs in the second half. It's not that loss, though. It's like, you know, they they got manhandled at home by Ohio State. They got manhandled by Illinois. You know, when they're playing the better teams, they're just getting blown out. I didn't get blown out by Michigan, but Michigan had a month off. When Michigan didn't have a month off, they beat them by 40. So, you know, to me, this team has just not lived up to what they were supposed to be. I will say, though, just in the grand scheme of things, look, looking for buy-low opportunities, there's not really a buy-low spot for Wisconsin in the title futures market right now, but they've struggled. I mean, they've they've gone from a win to a loss. They've ping-ponged back and forth, let's see, in their last in their last seven games. So they, they eight games, that is. They, they beat Northwestern on January 20th. Then they lost to Ohio State. They beat Maryland on the road. Then they, then they lost to Penn State on the road. They beat Penn State at home. They lost to Illinois on the road. They beat Nebraska on the road in the look-at spot for Michigan last Wednesday, and then they lose to Michigan uh, at home on Sunday. I-, I hear you. Wisconsin has not lived up to the hype yet. But just in terms of like a not a buy-low opportunity in the futures market, but a buy-low opportunity from game to game, I think you're kind of getting some value for a team that still has some promise. The guy who I was really impressed by against Michigan was Johnny Davis, their freshman. I, I know they came up lame down the stretch in terms of scoring, but he had some big shots in the second half. I think he could, if he if he starts to develop in the latter part of Big Ten play, continues to develop, Wisconsin, that makes Wisconsin even more dangerous. Yeah, well, this is an elimination game for me because I don't like either team. And whatever team <laughs> loses here, I'm betting against in the first round, you can guarantee. All right. I, I like it. I like the strategy. On to another big, t- another big, big Ten game. And this is the first leg of uh, arguments for Tom and I, is Ohio State at Penn State. Kempom makes the line... Ohio State minus four with a total of 152. Yeah, I mean, this one's all you. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if, I guess if you fade Ohio State every game, sooner or later you're going to get them. But, the, you know, I, I understand. I just, you know, four points, Ohio State's a one seed. Uh, they're playing like a one seed. Are they, are they playing like a one seed defensively? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, the... They're beating the snot out of teams. That's, you know, they beat your great Wisconsin team by 12 on the road. That's pretty good. They beat Illinois on the road. That's pretty good. You know, they beat Iowa on the road. That's pretty good. The So, you know, they're they're playing great. And I just, to me, so you're looking at them as a one seed, right? 
um, and Villanova, who I cannot comprehend as a two seed, um, would never be four points. That, that line would be higher if they were playing a team like Penn State in the Big East on the road. So I just I, I, I don't think you're getting enough value to bet against Ohio State personally. They've shown that, I mean, that spread should be six or seven, in my opinion. And maybe it will be, but four, that's not good enough for me. Penn State played really well at Ohio State. They were around eight-point dogs, and you're right. It's before the market adjusted. If Penn State played that plays that game now, they're um, on the road in Columbus. They're probably 10-point dogs. But Penn State didn't have Ses- uh, Sam Sessoms in that game. Really good guard for them. Really good score. Pretty good shooter, too. Penn State is coming off back-to-back losses at Michigan State. They lost to freaking Nebraska, who I'm actually kind of high on. They're playing really good defense right now in the Big Ten. I, I don't think that was an off as awful as a loss as it might have seemed because of the spread. I think it's more of a product of Nebraska playing good basketball. I mean, they gave Illinois a run for their money on Friday, and I don't think that was a fluke. Um, And on top of that, Ohio State, so it's back-to-back losses for Penn State. Ohio State is a huge game on the upcoming Sunday at Michigan. We're at home against Michigan. That is like the Big Ten championship game if there is no Big Ten tournament or even even if there is a Big Ten tournament because you never know with upsets in, in a conference tournament. That is a huge game for Ohio State. And I wouldn't, I know what you're. I know what you're gonna say. Like, why would Ohio State be looking ahead? They they've won six in a row. They 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 beaten Penn State already. Penn State played really well in the second half in that game in Columbus. They were up in the second half. I don't see why Ohio State doesn't look ahead to the biggest game of their season in, in a couple of days after the Penn State game. Yeah, I'm not saying they wouldn't be looking ahead here. The, they might be, and it's a good spot to take Penn State. Penn State's a lot better at home than they are on the road. I, to me, you're just not getting the value. Uh, four points. If that, that line's four points, that's not good enough for me to take Penn State. Okay. Well, I will be on the Nittany Lions, the first fade of some of the elite teams in college basketball. I, I, if you want to throw Iowa into the mix, you can go fuck yourself because they are not elite. But I, I will say, I came away really impressed with Ohio State against Indiana. I, I might have read that wrong. I think I did read that wrong. I mean, they lost by you know around 20 points. But I think that was more of a product of, you know, you were texting me this on Saturday. Indiana just having tired legs in the second half after that double overtime win uh, against Northwestern, even though that was a look-ahead spot for Indiana in its own right. So I will be on Penn State. I believe that's the second of my bets because I'm already talking about Wisconsin for Thursday. Uh, another game that I want to get to is Rutgers at Michigan, another huge Big Ten matchup uh, in the latter part of the Thursday card. Kempa makes this line eight, Michigan lane eight, and a total of 148. Yeah, I we disagree on this game for sure. The I, I think Michigan is going to woodshed them. Uh, I think they're going to win this game by twenty. They got they came back. They played their game after COVID issues. Uh, you know they won that tough game against Wisconsin. I, listen, I know you better Rutgers future. I, I get it. The you know the bet stinks. The team is average, um, and I just think Michigan's going to blow them out of the water. So what would you make the line? If you, if you think Michigan's going to blow them out, maybe the market agrees with you. Maybe this line gets up to close to double digits. What what do you think Michigan should be favored by against Rutgers at home? I think the line's pretty solid. I'd make it about nine. The okay. I'm not saying that, you know, the, to me, I just, I don't see, I told you I could see Ohio State looking ahead. I don't see Michigan looking ahead because they had a month off. See, to me, looking ahead is when you're in the grind of the season and you're playing all the time, and then you're, you know, you see Ohio State on the horizon. But Michigan's only played one game in a month. What are they looking ahead to? I, to me, I don't see the spot. I just, I don't think it's a great spot uh, to take a, to go against Michigan at home. Surprisingly, I think Rutgers matches up well against this team, and I am not saying Michigan is 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 not deserving of that number one seed. They proved it at Wisconsin. 
You're talking about a team off COVID layoff. They should not have won that game. They should not have won that game by eight points, but they did. And that shows you how good this team is when, when they, when they're not right uh, all the way. And like, like you said, you get four days off after that game. Is it a look at spot just as much as it is for Ohio state? Maybe not, but I still think it is for Michigan. That's a rivalry game. That's the biggest game of their regular season, considering how well Ohio state is playing right now, whether you believe in that team or not. Michigan has a, a below-average turnover rate, and I don't think that got exposed enough by Wisconsin, especially in the second half. I thought Wisconsin took their foot off the gas pedal, personally, in the second half, play not to lose on when they were just trying to run down the clock. I know that's their offense, but really not running crisp sets um, against Michigan in the second half on Sunday. Rutgers turns you over at the second-highest rate in Big Ten play. So, again, not really exposed by Wisconsin. This Rutgers team can absolutely blitz you in terms of ball pressure. Some really good guards that do that. Geo Baker and and uh, if Jacob Young comes to play, then that's a huge difference maker for Rutgers off the bench, especially with his ball pressure. If Ron Harper is aggressive on the glass, because you mentioned it, Michigan was so good on the offensive boards on, on Sunday. And Rutgers is not a great defensive rebounding team, but it's all about how Ron Harper plays. I don't care how he shoots. If he's aggressive defensively, especially around the, around the boards, Rutgers can keep this thing within a few possessions. So from a turnover standpoint, and also from an interior scoring standpoint for Rutgers offensively, Michigan giving up the third highest uh, two point scoring rate in big 10 play. And Miles Johnson against Dickinson is not a bad matchup. He's a really physical big down low. And with, with the way Rutgers cuts to the rim and, and tries to get interior scoring that way, I, I think you're getting some value here with the highest two-point scoring rate in the Big Ten for Rutgers. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they have a nice win over Illinois, but, you know, they got swept by Ohio State. They got swept by um, Iowa. They, they lost to Wisconsin at home. I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't seem like a great spot for me, but... We'll see. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play the game at nine, ten points. Too much for me. But I, I do see Michigan winning this game easily. And I know you were making fun of my Rutgers future. I do want to say with this team long term, they're still pretty high up in the futures market in terms of a, a long shot. If you can get a big number on Rutgers, like the three point percentage was going to dip. Ron Harper's Ron Harper was shooting like forty five percent from three. Now it feels like he he's shooting negative fifty percent from three of late. Um, they have a lot of shot creators, a lot of shot makers. They're really physical down low with now Omarui healthy and Miles Johnson. Dude, Geo Baker like was one of the best isolation guards in college basketball. I'm still kind of bullish on Steve Peichel's team in March. For to do what? To win a game? To uh, to make a run, maybe sweet sixteen. Uh, maybe maybe go to get to the second weekend. Let's say Rutgers gets in the tournament. Uh, which I, I don't even think is a guarantee at this point. But let's say they get in the tournament. Whoever they play in round one, I will bet you on the air that they lose. Okay. All right, so we're not doing the Iowa fade. We're doing the Rutgers fade. I'm just sick and tired of you talking about Rutgers, so I'm going to make I'm gonna make it worth my while. Okay. Have fun with that. On to a couple more games to get to on Thursday. Uh, the Texas-Oklahoma game was supposed to be tomorrow, as in Wednesday. Uh, it got postponed until Thursday. Uh, Kempa makes this line Oklahoma by two. The market op- actually opened up as a pick for Texas and the total at 140. Uh, would you go with the Red Hot Sooners or would you take the Longhorns? I'm going to stay away and here's why. To me, this is another one of those Big 12 games that's tied with a minute to go. I, I do think it's a pretty good spot for Texas. Oklahoma is a team I think I'm higher on than you are. Um, I really like the makeup of this team. I like West Virginia, too. Thought that was the best game I watched all year. But that's the problem with these Big 12 games is these teams are all kind of in that same mix. They're all good. 
And when they play, there's these close games that are down to the wire. I see this being the same way. I give Texas a small lean, but I feel like it's going to be a close one the entire way. Looking at some of the um, metrics here for Texas, and in that last game, by the way, Oklahoma won at Texas. They were completely healthy. They had Reeves for that game. Texas did not have Courtney Ramey. They did not have Jericho Sims. Sims is one of the better rebounding bigs in the Big 12 and in college basketball. Texas has the best defensive rebounding rate in Big 12 play. Oklahoma really struggles on the offensive glass. So it's not like you're going up against a West Virginia like it was on Saturday where the Mountaineers do struggle to clean up and and limit second-chance opportunities. Texas also is the second highest three-point scoring rate in the Big 12, and Oklahoma has given up the fourth highest. So maybe you say that Oklahoma number is going to continue to regress positively like it did against West Virginia on Saturday, but I think te- Texas is kind of getting right. Like you, I think you brought this up on this podcast or in past podcasts. You're kind of high on Texas. I think Texas got through the worst part of their schedule where they lost four or five to Texas Tech. They beat Kansas State. Then they lost to Oklahoma. So this is a revenge spot for Texas. Then to Baylor and then to Oklahoma State in double overtime. Now you're getting like five days off in between games and Oklahoma is still going to be coming off that double overtime win over West Virginia where they might have tired legs in the second half of this game, even though they're getting a couple extra or, or an extra day of rest. Yeah, I am high on Texas. I'm high on Oklahoma and West Virginia. Let's put it this way. If the Big 12 has a bad tournament, Tom's going to have a rough tournament. Because <laughs> uh, I, I really like all three of those teams. And like you said, they they have strengths and weaknesses. Oklahoma's is you can, you know, even though you said West Virginia doesn't clean up all the time, I thought they kind of dominated, especially in crucial moments uh, down low, rebounding the ball against them. So that that is where Oklahoma can have some some trouble Uh, to me it just looks like an even game some of the weaknesses match up with strengths Uh, you know they played a a one-point game last time see another close one here well that's the problem like just to go to West Virginia for a second West Virginia one of the best offensive rebounding teams in college basketball that's why Derek Culver got a second chance opportunity against Oklahoma and he should have put that one in but we're getting a good spot because of it and they're in the bottom half of the league in defensive rebounding rate. I just think this is, I think we've got a great spot because Oklahoma was able to pull that one off at the buzzer on Saturday. No, I don't disagree. I like the spot for Texas. Okay. A couple more, actually just one more game to get to. I'll let you take the rain on this one, Tom. Colorado at Oregon. Again, no official line up just yet, but on Kempom, Colorado is a one-point favorite according to Kempom at Oregon and a total of 141. Yeah, this Oregon's going to be a play for me if Eric Williams plays. Um, one of their best players has been out. But even without him, they've now won three in a row. You know, Dana Altman's teams usually get right around this time of the season, start playing better, getting ready for the tournament. You know, I, hey, I, I faded Colorado last Thursday against Stanford, and that went so well. I figured, let's try it again. But, the you know, that... We, we were one, I think you did have Cal on Saturday uh, when uh, when Colorado went there. And this yep. is their third straight road game. And Colorado is not the same team on the road as they are at home. You know, as Stanford is just, uh, that, that was an ugly, ugly performance. But, you know, you came back and you hit Cal, which was a great bet. Uh, they won outright. I think this is going to be another good spot to fade Colorado if Williams plays. Jabari Walker is a key for Colorado, though. You mentioned Williams. For Oregon, if Walker doesn't play for the Buffs again, that's a that's a three point shooter. While he doesn't play a ton, still a perimeter floor, floor spacer that Colorado's going to miss against this Oregon team. Are, are you high on Oregon long term? And that this honestly might be one of those buy low spots, right? Where I kind of mentioned it with Wisconsin. If you like Wisconsin long term, or at least to make uh, make get to the second weekend, is this a similar spot to Oregon where they're about to peak for you? 
Uh, yeah, I think it is. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of problems with COVID and injuries, and, and we know Altman's a really good coach, too. So, you know, a lot of times Oregon can be overrated because people like to bet on them. I think now they're a little bit underrated just because they've kind of been, you know, they've had all those issues throughout the season. People kind of forgot about them. I don't think they're good enough to win it all or anything like that. I do think they can get to that second weekend, though, if they get some good matchups in the tournament. This is a big game for them. We'll see how they should win this game at home. Uh, this is the type of t uh, game Oregon always wins at home, right? That 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 Thursday night late game against <laughs> a good team from the Pac-12. They, they always win this game. So let's see. They win this game. I think they go on a nice run to end the season. Yeah, they, they really do. I think they won this one against Colorado last year. They were down maybe close to double digits to half. They came back and won it. And this is a revenge spot, too. Oregon does not play well at Colorado, whether it's because of the error or not. Duarte hit that big shot as a dog. Oregon closed as a dog to Arizona. They won outright, hit the game-winning three. We mentioned Rutgers, Eugene O'Marie, one of the better bigs in college basketball. It doesn't get talked about enough. We we hit on it earlier, man. Oregon gave Virginia a very tough test in the tournament a couple of years ago when that was like a one-possession game with five or six to go. This is a dangerous team. LJ Figueroa can stretch the floor. I don't think they're as athletic as they were that year, especially defensively. That's why they could create so much havoc. And But Dana Ullman is a great tournament coach. Yeah, and just to close out the point here, which you mentioned, should we buy him now? If they beat Colorado, the remaining games are Utah, Stanford, California, and Oregon State. I mean, they could get on a nice little run here heading into the tournament. So if you are going to buy them, now's the time. You know who I'm going to be betting on. Uh, if they, if, I, I agree with you. I mean, they could win three in a row here. That's, that Stanford game, though. With Colorado and Utah, if they pick up these two and then you get Stanford on the road, that's a pretty good spot. Yeah, Stanford's on my list. <laughs> okay. That is Tom Casali at the Tom Casali on Twitter. Next up, we're going to be joined by one of the best bracketologists around. Just ask or go to Bracket Matrix. Lucas Harkins joins us to talk all things bracketology from the heat check next. It's time to start placing smarter bets, more profitable bets. If you're an experienced sports better or someone who's just starting out, BetQL is here to help us all become better bettors. BetQL runs hundreds of thousands of simulations and rates each potential bet on a scale of one to five stars. One star? Maybe skip that game. Five stars? That's like a big green light telling you to go. Look, you wouldn't torture your stomach with a one-star restaurant. Don't do it to your wallet. Get access to data and insights the sports Folks don't want you to see. We're talking about real, proven analytics here. Not some hot takes from a random guy online. BetQL's computer model analyzes every bet every day to find you the best opportunities. Pro and college games, football, basketball, and more. You can sort by sport or choose from a list of the best bets available right now in real time. So before sitting down to watch your favorite sports, see if the data backs up your betting instincts. Bet smarter and beat the books with BetQL. Download the BetQL. QL app or visit betql.com today. Now it's time to bring in a bracketologist. And even though he's not the Joe Lenardi of, of college basketball in terms of in the college basketball space, he is one of the best bracketologists out there. Just ask and go to Bracket Matrix. Top 10 in terms of bracketology accuracy. His name is Lucas Harkins. You can follow him on Twitter at Hardwire Sports, covering bracketology for Heat Check, heatcheckcbb.com. What's going on today, Lucas? Not much, just excited to talk some college hoops. No doubt. So before we get going and ask you about specifics about your bracket, your latest bracket came out earlier today on Tuesday, February 16th. Mm -hmm. Explain to us your process with making a bracket. So I think really it comes down to looking at 
what's happened in the past years and what the committee really respects and what they value um, in their bracket. For the most part, that's changed over the years. And this year is perhaps even uh, more challenging than others with how they're going to approach teams that are coming off pause, missing players, um, that kind of stuff. But the process isn't as difficult as it really seems to be. So for me, I always go, I bring up a, a Google sheet. I re-scrub, so I look at every team as a fresh slate every time I do a bracket. So that's either every Friday or now they're related in the season every Tuesday and Friday. Um, and I just go through straight from net ranking. So I don't forget anybody on accident. Um, and I just go compare resume to resume and then put into chunks um, and, and build it out from there. And this season, I think what we learned from the bracket preview on Saturday, um, cause this is probably the most specific I've looked at teams than earlier in the year. Uh, is to really value how teams are doing against those top tier wins this year. So in the past, I've given a little bit more credit to quadrant two wins than I have this season. Um, and that's kind of an example of seeing Oklahoma uh, with three quad one a wins um, jump into the number three seed line on Saturday. Lucas, there's one team I want to get your opinion on here and that's Villanova. Now I see you have them as mm-hmm. a two seed and I'm not saying that that's wrong because that's where everybody has them, but looking at them objectively, the, they have one really good win against Texas. Their next best win is probably Seton Hall. They've been blown out two of the last four games. So when you're looking at this, take the name Villanova away. What makes them a two seed over, say, Oklahoma or Florida State? So for me, I had I had Villanova as one of my lower two seeds before they lost to Creighton, and I would have personally dropped them to the three line. Um, however, with the committee putting them as, I believe, their second two on Saturday – um, I kept them on a two line as a result of that. That wasn't necessarily a me decision, more of just what I think the committee will do. Um, in terms of what's to like about their resume, uh, their quality metrics are all good. Top 11 in Ken Palm, BPI, and Sagarin, which is great. Um, and no losses outside of Quadrant 1, also nice. Um, I, honestly, I'm with you on I'm not really a huge buyer of their resume right now. Um, and I'm not sure it's going to get much better from this point on because the Big East is just in a down season this year. Uh, but as long as their metrics are good and their overall records 13 and three is fantastic, they'll stay in that top four somewhere. You could check out Lucas's bracketology, latest bracketology on heatcheckcbb.com. It's free there. Uh, one seeds Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State in that order. Two seeds Villanova, Illinois, Houston, Alabama. Three seeds Iowa, which is a four seed on Saturday, but obviously he ticked them up a little bit after the Michigan State win. Iowa. Virginia, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and then four seeds, Texas Tech, Tennessee, which slipped back, Florida State, which jumped in for for Lucas after the Virginia win, and then Texas. I want to start off on after Tom's little rant there on Villanova, which I get. He lost a bad bet on Saturday. I want to get your perspective (laughs) on Ohio State. What What do the Buckeyes need to do? What needs to happen for Ohio State to drop out of that one seed conversation? Well, I think when you look at it, their closing schedule is unsurprisingly in the Big Ten this year. It's tough. They have Michigan, Iowa, and Illinois still left in the schedule. And I think that last game is the one that's most important. Because for me, Illinois is my top number two seed right now. um, And probably the closest, along with maybe Alabama, to jumping onto the one line. Um, So I think if you get to that point, like right now, Ohio State's biggest claim to fame is it leads the the country in quadrant one wins. They're eight and three in quad one. Um, and that's something that Illinois can catch them on and bid a head-to-head win against them, which isn't necessarily important because head-to-head doesn't really show up much um, in consideration, but it's not going to hurt that Illinois would then pick up a win while Ohio State would lose in that territory. Um, so I'd say for them to stay on the one line would be just to 
probably go four and one down the finish. Um, that's Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, and Illinois, if I'm looking at it correctly. And I think as long as they get four of those wins, three of which over top 50 teams, considering Penn State, despite being well under 500, is still a top 50 team, uh, I think they'll stay on the one line. Lucas, we all know how good uh, the Zags are and Baylor. I mean, they're clearly the top two teams right now. Michigan, you could probably put in there too. But if I, in terms of the betting market, let's say I wanted to take a team a little bit further down the trough. Is there one you think represents some value, maybe three, four, five seed? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, one team that kind of stands out to me is Creighton. Um, they were a team that came into the year top 10, top 15, um, their defense has been generally improved this year to compare to where it was last year, and their offense hasn't quite looked the same. Um, but if we see the same Marcus Zagorowski we saw against Villanova, that's a team that can get hot um, down the finish and be playing really well coming into March as maybe a three or four seed. Um, I guess another team I'll look at is uh, probably further down that list would be Arkansas. Um, a team that I've really liked all year round. They've kind of made a push as of late to get into that. Instead of being on the bubble more in a seven to nine range, they've won six of seven, um, have a few games late, LSU, Florida, Alabama, um, where they can pick up quality wins and move more towards that four to six territory you're talking about. Uh, really up-tempo team, can beat you from three, really good defensively. Kind of, Arkansas kind of does everything well, nothing really particularly elite. Um, and those are the kind of teams that can cause problems for a lot of teams and also it's hard to find a weakness that you can exploit i'm with you uh lucas on creighton we saw that and that was a great performance zigorowski looked like last year's uh, marcus zigorowski they're 20th in minutes continuity in college basketball and defensively in big in big east play it's the second lowest uh adjusted defensive efficiency on kempom and last year they were in the bottom half of the conference now i know zigorowski was hurt down the stretch which maybe hurt their defense in that st john's game when they got blown out on the road, but this is a really impressive team. And Tysh, I mean, you lose Tyshawn Alexander, one of the best two-way players in college basketball last year, let alone the Big East. It's impressive how they've rebounded. And if you get that kind of Zagorowski in the dance, this this team looks like a, a Sweet 16, maybe Elite Eight kind of a team. Want to get your perspective on Florida State. You brought them into your field of at least the top 16 seeds after the big win over Virginia on Monday night. Blew them out by 20-plus points. Virginia made it a game within single digits in the second half, and FSU completely blew them out of the water again. Is this type of Florida State team, like from an athleticism standpoint, because in the betting market, if you look at the futures market where Florida State sits, Florida State is 20 to 1 to win the title. And we saw it, what, four years ago when they beat Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. Then a year after that, they lose to Gonzaga in the Sweet 16. They have the athleticism, but do you trust a letter in Hamilton in the tournament where, let's say this team finishes on the three line or the four line, is this the type of Seminoles team that can get past a Baylor or Gonzaga? So I think yes. Um, And to the point of leaping into the top 16, when Missouri lost to Arkansas, that opened up my last spot in the top four seeds, which was I was between, heading into last night, was between Florida State um, and USC, giving the edge to Florida State for their win. I think the big difference this year with Florida State is it's the best offense that Leonard Hamilton's ever had. Um, Adjusted efficiency standards put them at ninth in the country. Um, In that department, this is a really good three-point shooting team, top 10 in the country in three-point efficiency, nearly 40% from deep. They offensively rebound the crap out of the ball, and they're long athletic on defense like they always are. This isn't quite the same defensive caliber team that, for example, that team that beat uh, Gonzaga is uh, was, but their offense is so much better, and I think having that much 
uh, more firepower um, and that much more firepower will, will help them avoid those kind of droughts that they went in in the past. And they also are really big and really tough to match up with as a result. Scotty Barnes at 6'9", um, almost impossible to match up with. And Raekwon Gray is playing excellent. Their, their size, athleticism, and now shooting ability makes them really dangerous. A team that really interests me is St. Louis because I bet them before the year at 100 to 1. And I still believe they have the type of talent to cause issues in the tournament. Now, obviously, they've been one of the teams hit hard by COVID, had a month off, lost back to back games to Dayton and LaSalle. Uh, they're on your next four out. Do they have to win the tournament to get in? Do you see a path for them to get into the as an at large team? I do. Um, I do see a path for an at-large, partially because they're still recovering um, from those back-to-back COVID losses that you mentioned. Um, and, and not only do they have opportunities down the stretch, VCU and Richmond, both still on the schedule, both um, bubble teams that they can possibly move ahead just by beating. They're at that point where I think they'll get towards closer to the cut line. And once they get closer to the cut line, I'll think more about giving them a boost for two losses coming after not playing for a month. Um, so I think their problem for a while was just not having – the number of wins and now they're now after a three game winning streak, they're back up to 10 and three and getting closer to uh, in consider in, in stronger consideration than they were a bit ago. Um, their metrics are still really strong. Their strength, their resume metrics, KPI and a strength of record aren't quite there yet, but that's, that will change if they're able to pick up those wins over aforementioned uh, VCU uh, and Richmond. Tom brought up St. Louis teams on the outside, looking in the next four out Colorado state is also in the mix from the mountain West. And then St. John's and Syracuse. And everyone always thinks, well, Syracuse is going to get in. They're going to be a 10 seed like they were on that run to the Final Four when they beat Virginia. What do those three teams need to do to make or to get into the tournament? Because they all have tournament upside if they get in. Yes. Um, with regard to Colorado State, they're one of the many bubble teams in the in the Mountain West right now. I think the only team that I feel comfortable definitely being in the field if it started today um, would be San Diego State. Um, Colorado State, I believe, just had a postponement of their Nevada matchups like an hour ago, and that those would have helped. Um, not going to lie, I think beating Nevada is not a bad win, not a um, not an insignificant win this season if they were able to do so. Um, Colorado State is in decent shape. Their problem is they haven't really boosted their quality metrics all that much this year. They averaged sixty nine. Um, across BPI, Ken Palm, and Sagarin, and that kind of puts them behind the eight ball um, compared to other bubble teams. Um, I think their their problem is they just need to. Right now, I think they only have two more scheduled regular season games on the on the calendar, and I think being able to get that Nevada series, if I'm remembering that correctly, back on track, um, would help. With regards to Syracuse, their problem is just a complete lack of quality wins. They're 0-4 in Quadrant 1, and I just can't imagine, even with top 50 metrics in BPI and Sagarin, them getting into the field um, with only one Quadrant 1 win. So I think that they just need to pick up um, more quality down the stretch, which is surprisingly harder than it would normally be in the ACC, which you've really only considered two teams to be in that top 20 this year. Um, and neither of those are on their schedule moving forward. So I think that they need to be able to find a way to pick up at least one, probably two quad one wins without suffering another loss. Um, they have a lot of work to do. And I would say the same about St. John's, just from a different standpoint. St. John's metrics are all below where you would put a normal bubble team. Uh, but they have a pair of really good wins, uh, including that one over Villanova. And that's their big um, selling point right now is they have to keep, qual- they have to push on quality wins, but, their metrics are what's the problem right now, which there are games where they can pick those up. I mean, DePaul, 
no offense to DePaul, is a team that you can really bolster your metrics against this year. Um, and that's a big win for that's a big game coming up for St. John's at home. Please offend DePaul all you want, Lucas. <laughs> Lucas, looking at some of your 13 and 14 seeds, I mean, now you're speaking my language, teams I really like here, <laughs> Abilene Christian, Wright State, Colgate. Um, in those lower conferences, everyone loves to pick an upset, and I know we have to wait for matchups, but is there one team there you feel like has the ingredients to be a problem in the first round? I, I wrote about this last week, and I think that team is Belmont, not just because of their record, but I think Casey Alexander's got – what Rick Bird was doing, and he's perfected it even this year. Uh, 22 and 1, obviously the record is pristine, and their one loss came back on December 5th. Uh, but their offense is outstanding. They shoot a bunch of threes, make a bunch of threes, they dominate inside, um, I, they move the ball extremely well. Their offense is the type of thing that can compete with just about any defense that's thrown at them. I know that they're lack, they haven't played a tough competition this year, but there's a reason why my metrics are opponent adjusted. Um, and their offense is clearly fantastic, and sometimes that's all you need in one game for an upset is to get hot on offense and particularly get hot up from three, and they're both a team that ranks top 60 in three-point percentage and three-point attempt rate. So if they get hot, I think that they can beat any one of those um, three through six seeds. Last question for me, Lucas, Loyola Chicago. You have them as a number eight seed in Gonzaga's bracket going up against San Diego State. I got to say, I would love – to get a Loyola Chicago, San Diego State, either one of those teams matched up against Gonzaga. And I know Tom is probably yelling at me in his head for for saying to fake Gonzaga against one of those teams, but that'd be a pretty fun matchup, either of them, I, I will say, with those defenses. Does Loyola Chicago have the ingredients to not only make a Final Four like they did three years ago? I think this team is better than it was three years ago. Krutwig is like Nikola Jokic on the floor, a college version of Jokic right yep. now uh, in, the, in the Missouri Valley. Does this team have a legitimate shot in betting their futures? I know you're not a better per se, but if you were to take a long shot on a mid-major team or any team. Well, I think if you're going to take a long shot at making the Final Four or Elite Eight with Loyola um, in particular, I'd wait a little bit and see where they finish at the end of the year. Because the closer they end up to that 8-9 line like I have them right now, the less I'd feel comfortable betting on them because of the odds of them hitting Gonzaga or Baylor as a second round opponent. I feel comfortable with them having a shot against any of the two seeds um, or even Michigan or Ohio state. But if they're stuck in bracketology projections around the eight, nine, I would worry about just getting up against one of those juggernauts that I'm not sure anyone's really going to have a shot at early in the, early in the tournament. So that would be where my hesitancy comes from um, with Loyola. All right. That was great information. Lucas Harkins from he check CBB. You can check out he check cbb.com covers bracketology for the heat check you can follow lucas on twitter at hardwired sports man that was fantastic information uh tom and i both really appreciate the time thanks for having me on i appreciate it thanks a lot so tom remember how you said i need to allocate more than 30 minutes of time for this podcast we've been recording we've been on zencaster which is how we record our podcast for about an hour and a half your thoughts um when when we get on i take the over if Coach Patsos is on with us, it's max bet over. <laughs> yeah, I think I think next time Patsos is on with us, we're looking at two hours. But a phenomenal podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. A full breakdown of the Wednesday and Thursday card. One quick thing I want to say um, about Dayton St. Louis on Friday. If Dayton beats Rhode Island today and I have them plus three uh, on Tuesday, February 16th, if they cover today and went outright, I will be on St. Louis on Friday. If it's within a possession, I'll be on the Billikens.
No, I agree, and I would tune in Saturday because I got a Patriot League pick. If the game's played, I'll be wearing a hat. Let's put it that way. All right, so our next podcast is up live on Saturday on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks to everybody that checked out the podcast today. Big thanks to Lucas Harkins from Heat Check joining us to talk all things bracketology. For Tom Casale, you can follow him on Twitter at the Tom Casale. Myself, my Twitter handle is at Eli Herskovich. Thanks for checking out another edition of BetQLU.